Our scripture lesson this morning as we continue in the book of Genesis and looking at the lives of Abraham and Sarah is found in Genesis chapter 18 verses 1 through 8. We're told that the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of the tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted his, his eyes up and he looked and behold three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, Abraham ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth, and he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. Will I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cake. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and he gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. I wrote my message this week, getting ready for this morning, And I realized as I put it together that it had something very much in common with a book that I discovered back in the 1990s. It came out in 1995. Many of you may be familiar with it. I've used it a lot of times in some classes we've done around here. And also I use it when I help couples get ready for getting married. And it's called The Five Love Languages. is a book that literally changed my life when I first came across it. It not only is a Christian book, but it certainly has been extremely widely used, and I have a good friend who is a family therapist. He uses it all the time, and it looks at the ways in which love is expressed between people. And Chapman says there's basically five ways in which we express love. And the problem that happens is if we get caught up in our own way and only see how we receive love and don't understand how another person does, we can literally have major problems in a, in a marriage or any kind of relationship because the person who's expressing love to the other person isn't really doing something that the other person is receiving. So he breaks it down into these five areas. He said, it's words of affirmation, the way we talk to another person. The second one he calls physical touch. The third would be gifts. Fourth are acts of service. And the fifth is quality time. The problem that can happen, and I use an illustration of, say, for instance, a person loves gifts. Say that's a really important thing to them. And say their spouse's love language or their child's love language is quality time. It doesn't matter how many gifts you buy the person that still doesn't express love to that person. So it's important to understand our own love languages so we can express those needs to others. And it's also important to understand the love languages of another person which got me thinking and looking at our text this morning and realizing that this is about a relationship with God and contained in this text is all five love languages. And I thought, duh, if God created us with love languages, then obviously God has all five love languages. It only makes sense. 
that if we're going to have a relationship with God and we take those same five things that we see in relationships with human beings and bring them into our spiritual life and our relationship with God, we probably can have a better understanding of how to grow into more intimate and caring relationship with our Heavenly Father, with our Savior Jesus, and with the Holy Spirit who works in our lives. And so that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. Because you see, this is a case in the Old Testament where it's very clear that Abraham encountered God. The text says it right there. He sees the Lord. But what's interesting is the text goes on and says that not only did we read that he encountered the Lord, but now he sees three people. Some would say that means it is God and two angels. That's possible. Others, like myself, would say this is an appearance of the Trinity in the Old Testament. God appearing in three persons right before Abraham. It's one of many times in the Old Testament that I believe what we have these things, we call them theophanies, the appearance of God in human form in the Old Testament, or Christophanies, appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. And here, I believe, we see the Trinity together. Again, what's interesting is how Abraham responds in this moment. The first thing I would say is it becomes about words of affirmation. It becomes about conversation. Because if God is God and God loves us and God wants a relationship with us, how we speak to God becomes very important. Now, we all know what the word is for our words of affirmation to God. It's prayer. It's talking to God. Verse 1 is very clear. The Lord appears to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat by the door of his tent. God appears there to talk to him. He doesn't appear there just so that Abraham can say, wow, this was a really cool day. I got to see God. He's there for the express purpose of having a conversation. And of course, the conversation does go both ways. We'll discover, we'll look at it next week when more is said about how He talks specifically about Sarah, but at this moment, it's very apparent that God appeared ready to talk. Did you know God's always with you? He's always at your tent. He's always there. He's at your house. He's in your car. He's in your workplace. When you're having a tough day, he's with you. I saw a video that went viral of two women who were fighting on 128. They got out of their car and started yelling and screaming and pushing each other, and people pulled out a camera and took a video. I think what those two women forgot is God was with them at that moment. They could have, instead of taking their aggression out on each other, talked to God. Take it to the Lord in prayer, is what the old, the old hymn says. Then in verse 2, we read these words, Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked. Hmm, got me thinking more. If God wants our words of affirmation, isn't it interesting the first thing he does with Abraham is gets his attention. So Abraham looks at him. Now if you look in the Psalms and you look in the writings of the Apostle Paul, you discover something else. It talks about sometimes in our life when we don't know how to pray. Have you ever been there? You don't know what to say? It says at those moments, it's just groans, and that's okay with God. It's just groans in our life. So again, I started to put it all together. 
I thought, wow, isn't that profound? God wants us to talk. He just wants us to converse with him. We call it prayer. But he wants to get our attention and have him literally look. And even sometimes it's only our groans. Now, the reason I got thinking about this is because I had a bad day one day this last week. And I found myself doing what we all do. I sort of <clears throat> grunted and looked and just sort of got disgusted. Have you ever done that? Come on, do it with me. <clears throat> we all have our way. Mine's, remember one time I was walking down the street of Boston, probably it was 1990, and I went, <clears throat> Regina goes, what's wrong? I said, I just remember that Red Sox lost the 86 World Series. <laughs> our text tells us to do something different. Instead of doing that, go, ah, hmm, look up and give it to God. Hmm. You're in the midst of something tough, something really bad, something's really frustrating you. Instead of, hmm, go, give it to God. Acknowledge his presence. It makes all the difference. Just look down and grunt or look up and sigh. That's prayer, folks. That is prayer. Just acknowledging God's with you. You don't have to worry about it yourself. I don't have to do it myself. I can just stop and look up and go, I can't deal with this. You got it. When we start acknowledging God right there, it changes everything. Because we're no longer frustrated and angry and frustrated with the person or looking at the kid or the next door neighbor or the situation, but we literally are turning it over. Let's make prayer a little simpler. Let's make it just acknowledging his presence with us and let that begin the conversation. And now we're ready to talk. Because instead of holding it and being frustrated, we just look up and sigh. Mm. And I can say, God, you got this. I'll just give it to you. God wants our words of affirmation, which begin by affirming that he's with us, he's got it, and he cares. The second thing is about physical touch. So you can all go out and hug God now. Verse 2, the second part of it said, Abraham ran from the tent of the door to meet them, and he bowed himself down to the earth. Abraham did something physical. He ran up to the Lord, and he bowed himself down. He made it physical. He made it something that was more than just an acknowledgement and just a conversation. He now recognized that there was something about himself and who he was and what he did that involved his relationship with God. I realized as I read this and I thought of Abraham running and making this a priority to go see the Lord and bowing himself down, that we choose what we make as a priority in our life. And you know how we do it? We choose it by what we touch. Have you ever had a child who didn't do their homework? Have you ever known a child who didn't do their homework? Have you ever been a child who didn't do your homework? We usually say something like this. You didn't do your homework. You didn't even touch it. You didn't even touch it. 
One day I was at a Bible study and a new couple had come to church. They'd been in worship on Sunday and now they knew that we had a Sunday evening Bible study. And I remember I was down in one of the Sunday school rooms. A Sunday evening Bible study wasn't very large at the time. And I looked out in the parking lot and this couple, they were in their 60s, I had only met them that morning in worship. They were walking across the parking lot doing two things, holding their Bible and holding hands. And I knew they loved God and I knew they loved each other. All by what they touched. All by what we touch. So I did a little research and I discovered, did you know that we touch our smartphones a lot of times every day? Now, if you're an American and an average American, do you know how many times the average American touches their smartphone? 2,617 times in a day. I guess it's pretty important to us, isn't it? We just keep touching it. Now, if you're obsessive with your smartphone, you may touch it as much as 5,400 times a day. What if we made it a priority to touch our Bibles? I didn't ask you to read it. Every, we can do that. Just touch it every day. I did that this week, getting ready for the sermon. Do you know what I discovered every single time I touched it? I opened it up and I read something. Maybe just a verse. Flip through it. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover must come and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Hmm. My Savior did a lot for me, I thought. Just touch it. God has a love language. One of them is physical touch. Try touching his word. Try having the scripture available. Just in a place where every single day, multiple times, it's within reach. David said to me, but what are you going to tell the people who use a smartphone? Quit doing it. Get a real Bible. Come talk to me. Smartphones are great. I do a lot on the electronic media. But have a text that you can hold on to and you can touch and you can open and you can read. Your Heavenly Father wants a relationship with you. Your Savior gave his life for you. He loves you. Pray and talk, even if it's as simple as just acknowledging he's with you. And touch his word so that you can open it up. The next thing are, I'm going to put them together, are acts of service and gifts. Verses 4 and 5, very, very clear right here. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Very clear. Act of service right there. While I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself, a gift is given. Abraham and Sarah served the Lord and they gave to the Lord. They served with water by washing the feet. They said, our Lord is here. We need to wash his feet. Something fairly familiar about that, if you know your New Testament story. In the Last Supper, when Jesus says, unless you're willing to wash feet, you don't really understand what it means to be a disciple. And then they gave. They gave. They gave bread. And I think they gave a juicy hamburger. It says they took the... They took the the, the cattle, and they prepared something. I don't think they gave a steak. I like hamburgers better, so I assume what they gave to God that day was a juicy hamburger. The point is that serving others and giving is giving to God. 
Remember, we're talking about God's love languages. God wants us to affirm him as we talk to him. God wants us to physically touch his word so that we are physically doing something that brings God into our daily life. And God wants us to serve. And the service ultimately on serving God is serving others. Jesus put it very clearly. As you do it to one of the least of these, you do it to me. You want to serve Jesus? Change a diaper. What Jesus says, take the most vulnerable. Take a child who needs help and serve the child. You're serving Jesus. Do something physical to help another person. Serve and you're growing in your relationship with God. It's all about our, our understanding. If we complain about the things that we do, we're not going to see God in it. But if we look at absolutely everything we're asked to do, no matter what it is, and we understand it's an act of service to God, we understand that we're building our relationship with our Savior. And then it's about giving. I understand acts of service because it's my primary love language. I love it when somebody does something simple for me, just anything. But sometimes we mess up when it comes to the giving. I asked somebody one time why they gave. Their answer was very different than I expected. I give because it gives, brings me into a closer relationship with God, they said. I thought that's all we need to talk about. We're not looking for anybody to give to Faith Community Church. We're asking you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. Make your giving absolutely nothing other than giving to God. When you put money in an Easter egg, it's not about a parking lot or Lent. It's about giving to Jesus. And it's about thinking throughout the week, hey, here's an opportunity every day where I can do something simple and little, giving to God. And when you give your contributions to church, make it about giving to Jesus. Because God loves you and God cares about your gifts. Years ago, we started electronic giving in this church, and it's always been interesting to me how it started. It was one person who came to me who said, my wife and I have decided to go to our bank and use our bank payment, and we have the church now on automatic payment, and so you're going to just receive a check every single week from us because we've made that a priority in our life. Then I asked him to stand before the congregation and share that with others. And it's interesting because over the years, I'll talk to him or his wife, and they always say the same thing. We feel so good just knowing that we give to God regularly every week. It's a priority to us. Way on vacation, we're giving. We get busy and the kids need us to go do something, we're still giving. It's about our relationship with Jesus. It's about our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Abraham saw God in front of him, and he did something for him. He gave him a hamburger to eat. Now, last time I checked, Jesus isn't here asking for our hamburgers. But we can serve, and we can give, and we can do it out of our relationship with God because we should be growing so that we know God better and he's more part of our everyday life because that's why we're involved with the church to be involved with other people who we can worship together with and we can grow together as Christians. And then the last one is quality time. I think this is the toughest one for most Christians. I think everything else we can kind of get. They're like, people are like, okay, this is easy. I 
touch my Bible, I acknowledge God, I give a little bit of money to church, and I serve somebody, great. But now you're asking me for my time. And time is where Americans really struggle. But look at verse 8. It says, Then he took the curds and the milk and the calf and all that he had prepared, and it set it before them. And then Abraham stood by them under the tree while they ate. That quality time together. God appears, and Abraham and Sarah just want to be with them. They just want to soak it in. They want a relationship. I like to say that Abraham had lunch with the Trinity that day. Next time we see something like this, and it's so clear, is with the Last Supper. Where it's so clear that what does Jesus want to do before he's literally giving his life for us? He wants his closest friends just to have a meal together with him. We all eat. Make sure you have a prayer before you eat. Make sure you bring God into your mealtime. It's really that simple. God wants a relationship with you. He wants us to acknowledge his presence. He wants us to talk to him. He wants us to be with him. There's nothing that is as profound on our children's lives as offering them a genuine Christian home in which we make God a priority. I didn't say that. Harvard did. There's a recent study that was done at Harvard of 5,000 people who were young people who grew up in families that were religious homes, Christian homes where people went to church, practiced their faith, and homes where there was no religion whatsoever. They discovered the teens were better able to, and I quote Harvard, navigate life's challenges. They lived happier and healthier lives into their 20s. I didn't say that. Harvard said that. They then discovered that 47% of the young people growing up in a home where the family took their relationship with God seriously had a better sense of purpose. 18 to 20% were happier. 33% were less likely to use drugs. 40% less likely to have a sexually transmitted disease. 38% volunteered their time more, and 87% of the young people growing up in homes where we take our faith seriously, where we bring God into our mealtime, where we pray, where we have time to talk about our faith, where we attend church, bring our kids to Sunday school, 87% had a higher level of forgiveness. Now, there's a lot of things in there that parents will do an awful lot to try to get their kids to do. Certainly when you come to things like drastically reduce the chance of kids using drugs, People run all over the place to do that. It's pretty simple. Live a life of faith. Live a life in which quality time with God is natural and normal in our life. It's not something weird. It's not sitting around and having a three-hour theological discussion and being on our knees for two hours. It's just making it a natural part of our everyday life. You see, quality time matters. And quality time with God becomes every moment of our life as long as we invite God into every moment of our life. It's about how we live it and how we talk to God and how we talk to our family about it. But we are the problems because we overcomplicate it. 
we decide we are going to have a better relationship with God, and so we go to a bookstore and we buy our Bible, and that's a good place to start. And we touch our Bible and we struggle with the words, and so we go to some conference and they start loading us with books. It'd be great if we could read a book on a sermon. Maybe that would tell us something about that text. And the founder of Methodism is John Wesley, so we might even buy a book on Wesley and start reading through that. And then we hear, you know, if you really want to have a good relationship with God, you better do some kind of spiritual reading. So we hear about a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and so we decide we'll read his cost of discipleship with only pushes us to another book that we decide to read. And pretty soon we've got this big exhaustive decision on how can I possibly do it, and we walk away from it all. We go to the conference and we buy the stuff and we load ourselves down with it and we bring it home and it becomes overwhelming and all God says is, I want quality time with you. He didn't ask us to, to set up the prayer station or, or put up the icon or buy the commentaries or bring home a whole bunch of devotional reading. He just asked to make him part of our life and to talk to him and have some quality time. And to open the scriptures and make it part of our everyday life so it becomes normal. Because that's what I see in the story of Abraham and the Trinity. It wasn't some big complicated thing. He sees them. He runs to them. He serves them. He gives to them. And he wants to have a meal with them. And that's what our relationship with God is all about. It's about making it normal and normative. I remember there were times when Todd was little and people would come to our home at mealtime and they would hear Todd pray and he pretty much always prayed the same prayer. Dear God, thank you for this food and for this day and for this food and for this day and for this food and for this food and for this day. Amen. And sometimes people would say, he's a little sarcastic, isn't he? I say, no, he's a little natural, isn't he? It's just part of who he was. It's how we talk to God. We don't have to overthink it. We don't have to overcomplicate it. God wants to be part of your life. He just wants you to acknowledge him and quit going, <clears throat> and start going, ah. And quit touching the smartphone, and when you're tempted to, just touch the Bible and see if that doesn't lead you to just open it up and read it. And bring them into your meal time and bring them into everything. And when you got a really tough job to do, do it to Jesus. Because everybody else is going to frustrate you. When you do it for other reasons, it's going to be awful. But do it as unto the Lord, and it makes all the difference in the world. So this morning is about our relationship with God. And I invite you to look at your own life and ask what a priority it is. Because so often we do things around here that have to do with church and religion and other stuff, and it's really about how God is part of our life. Because God cares about every single one of us. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know him better. He wants you to acknowledge him in every part of your life, and he wants you to learn that it's not weird or difficult or complicated to have a relationship with God. It's really a very simple, basic thing of how we approach every single day and how we look at the things that we're already doing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, open our hearts. Help us to be open to the work that you are doing in our lives and help us to look at people like Abraham 
who didn't make a big complicated thing. He saw you and he wanted to know you better. We pray that you will help us want to know you better. We find ourselves busy and running here and there and feeling chaotic and the 21st century can seem at times overwhelming. Make it simple to us, Father. Help us to realize that you are the inventor of love languages. And maybe if all we can do in a given day is just, just say a kind word to you in a prayer and say, thank you, God, for this day, that it'll draw us closer into your presence. Help us trust you. Help us love you. Because you certainly have demonstrated your love to us beyond anything we can imagine by not only creating us, not only being with us, but by giving us your son, your most precious gift, our Savior who gave his life for us to demonstrate to us that your love for us is physical and tangible, tangible and concrete in our daily lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.